Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Hey there, you're listening to episode 224, and this week we start a new series of interviews with John Nicholson. You may know John as the co-host of the Virtually Speaking podcast and quite the technical guru, but John White and I know him as a fellow community member from several years ago who's been a great help to each of us and the community as a whole. John's going to start off by sharing with us a little bit about what tech marketing is. We've talked to some folks about that before, but he's going to share he's going to share his thoughts on what the job is and what is the job we see people doing in tech marketing compared to what the job actually is. And how might someone get into technical marketing if you're listening to this and have an interest in that? What do you need to be doing to get into that hiring funnel? We also wanted to have John Nicholson on the show because he wrote a great blog about consideration points that one should think about before saying yes to a job offer. It's about more than just money. We talk about things like measuring success. How's that going to be done? Sniffing out a good manager or a bad manager. How do you figure that out? What are some of the red flags that you should look for in that interview process? We also talk about this idea of a vibe check and are you the right culture fit? And I'll just pose this question. When we speak to upper level managers or executives in the hiring process, should we treat them the same as we might treat a charging bear? What do you do? How do you handle it? John Nicholson's going to tell you exactly how in part one of this interview. Here we go. John Nicholson, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. Yeah, so tell us, uh, remind us again what it is that you do. Um, I know We know, know that you're at VMware, but uh, what is your title? What is your uh, day-to-day responsibilities? So I, I'm a staff technical marketing architect, and people often ask, what is tech marketing? And I start to casually explain it and say, well, you know, we we work with uh, customers and we work with the PMs and we work with the product marketing. We're the technical specialists. Um, we take, you know, sometimes some of the requirements from the customers and we take them in engineering. Well, actually, there's a PM in the middle. Well, we don't always. And then I start realizing I'm explaining I'm that guy in office space. So. You, you had to say what do you what is it you do because I'm just having flashbacks to the bobs here. So but, you, your job, you're kind of embedded in the business the product unit. team. Yeah, right, we're in the, the business product. unit. We're on the product team, 
it's it's kind of an and it's an interesting thing and it's something I often kind of joke kind of like the iPhone like sometimes people hold it wrong technical marketing you know in some places they can use in all kinds of ways but a lot of what we do is produce content and then uh, get that content out there and so some organizations you'll see this sometimes get embedded in the Octo group for some insane reason sometimes you'll see this uh, the evangelist group you know you'll have that term which I know can be kind of a loaded term and not a title I think I never really want. Often you see tech marketing at conferences or you see them producing videos or, you know, you see them kind of as these people who are on stage, but 80% of what we do is kind of behind the scenes, working ahead of uh, the next product launch, collecting information, training sales engineers, uh, building enablement for partners, doing workshops, things like that. That's, there's there's very much an iceberg effect that we are very visible, um, but there's a lot that's kind of hidden, I guess. And building pretty pictures. I mean, you are the team that makes all the pretty diagrams that we love so much. Isn't that right? Yeah. No, the uh, the decks and the diagrams and that and that the VSAN infographic, interactive infographics. Like we, and, and we're constantly reevaluating and, and looking at what do people click on? What closes deals? And we're talking to SEs. We're talking to customers. What is it you use? And so like one document that it's kind of annoying to maintain is the VSAN design guide. That said, when I look at the traffic stats, everyone looks at that thing entirely. Too, like, I think there's people who just wake up in the morning and are like, I'm going to read this. Or maybe at night, they're like, I'm going to read this to go to sleep. These, these are, we, we, we do maintain some tomes, but we also recognize you guys have the, like myself, probably the attention span of a gerbil in some cases. And we'll produce videos and demos that are two minutes or even, an, you know, a, a quick GIF or GIF, depending on your religion on that. And so, you know, these are some of the things we work on. So if you, if you like writing, like if you you have to like writing to do tech marketing. So if you like writing, if you like blogging, um, and I know blogging seems kind of like old school, but like if you if you like putting stuff to paper, if you like communicating, you don't have to like be that guy on speaking of like. Well, there's some guys on my team who are humble and a bit more subdued and less over the top than I am, and they're like, you know what, you can present, that's fine. But you have to be willing to not be afraid to if someone says, hey, you need to present to 150 people that not just utterly like terrify you and you freeze up and get stage fright. And I, I like to say people get into tech marketing because they're already doing it. It heavily recruits from customers and SEs who were already speaking at conferences uh, that were blogging. Uh, John White and I actually know each other. The first presentation I ever gave at a conference, I'm pretty sure, was a uh, storage and virtualization discussion I gave with you at Spiceworks like a decade ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I saw that one. I was in the audience. Yeah, it was probably bad because it was like our first presentation my presentation i'm sure john was fantastic but it was actually great you guys each had a couple slides and spoke for probably five to ten minutes on each slide it was great well you know you you, you learn and you iterate and, and i encourage people if you do want to if you're interested in this path from a career side go speak at your vmug you know go speak at a b-sides Go, go speak at your local user group. Work your way up. Uh, Duncan Epping, who has a blog called Yellow Bricks, he has a really good two-part blog on like, how did you get here? And it talks about him working through challenges. Um, it's he, he is, by the way, well-known speaker, speaks at VMworld. I've presented with him, I think, to a room of 700 people. He's terrified of public speaking at, at his core. I, I've, I watched his handshake before he presented, but he put himself out there. Like that's what you kind of have to do to get to that level, to get into tech marketing. It's weird, but we often recruit heavily from people who are already blogging, already speaking, already doing that. It's a weird thing in that, you know, it's it's kind of hard to to say, well, I'm going to go. I promise I'll be good at these activities afterwards. Managers like who in tech marketing like to see someone who's already doing the activity, which I know is a challenge in any type of position, but is what it is. 
Ah, so this is, you know, one of the, the patterns, right? If you, if you want to position, then you should develop a history of doing the different parts of the job that are in that position that you know about. So you can point to like kind of a body of work and say, oh, public speaking, I've done that. Oh, writing white papers or best practice guides. You know, I've done that, you know, maybe not in that position, but, but here's my body of work. Now put those things together and that's the job that you're talking about. Something along those lines? Yeah. No, absolutely. It's something to where, you know, when I interviewed for this role, I didn't I didn't apply to it just out of the blue. Someone reached out to me. Duncan actually DM'd me on Twitter and was like, hey, I think you'd be good for this. And I'd already been on podcasts. I'd already, you know, spoken in public. I'd already written a small tech note about vSAM, which is the product team I was joining. The product, you know, I, I was already providing feedback to the early engineering groups. Um, you know, you can get in those customer or those CTAB type groups and things like that. Those are the types of people that tend to gravitate towards this. And like you say, that's very much in that pattern. That acronym that you just used, what is that again? C CTAB? Customer Technical Advisory Board. Yeah, Got it. we need to define okay. acronyms. And I think you said Octo earlier on. That's the... Office of the CTO. Okay. But no, it is it is something to where it can be scary trying to come into this field um, or even go from one tech company to another just because the amount of tribal language and it's it's not welcoming. It's something I think we all need to do a better job of, you know, quietly taking the newbies aside and be like, okay, I know they just said all that stuff and you probably didn't. This is what they really meant. This is what that means, as well as build tooling and in your own presentations. Uh, one thing I do in tech marketing and this is something I've had to learn is a lot of people I present to do not English is not their first language. You know, we have our customers in America um, and we have some customers who, you know, maybe they're in the UK and it's a slightly different, you know, English. They say maths instead of math, you know, learning to like learn your audience. Like if I'm in if I'm anywhere outside the US, I'm going to say Z instead of Z. It's little stuff, but also learn to speak. Not You don't have to go to like full basic English, but like don't use idiomatic expressions, which can honestly translate as offensive, you know, to some in some cases. But, you know, don't say, oh, yeah, two in the one in the hand is worth two in the bush or, you know, some of this stuff that like th this stuff doesn't translate well. And a long time ago, I actually took an idiomatic expression class in Spanish. and It was a lot of fun, but like, wow, these are wild and they do not map to our idiomatic expression. Like, it's something you learn is if you want to be understood when you're going around speaking or you're presenting or just even in, in the U.S. Like we have tons of immigrants or people who just different regions from your presentations. You, you don't have to dumb it down. It doesn't have to all be like fourth. This doesn't have to be like USA Today, like fourth grade reading level minimum or anything. But do try to clean that stuff up. I know that's really good guidance, I think. Um so just to kind of summarize, it's like you have to take into account the non-native English speakers who are listening to your um, presentation or who are reading it. And if, yeah, and if you can do that, then that's probably the key to really knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I see what you did there. Baseball caught you. One, one way to knock it out of the park is to get that job you want. And Mr. Nicholson, you know, it's kind of hard for me to delineate. We've got too many Johns on the show today, but we'll go with Mr. Nicholson. He wrote a great blog article about you're thinking about taking an offer. Here's what you need to know. And there are a lot of interesting consideration points in that article. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. So this was something I think it started as a Spiceworks post I wrote a long time ago. And it kind of kept growing and it actually grew to the point that I couldn't, it was too long to copy and paste into Reddit. And so I was like, well, I should probably put this on a blog and let this live as a document. And this is, this is actually a two part. So the top part 
is you know you're you're kind of interviewing them and that's one thing when that was different when i applied for vmware than every other job i've applied at or worked was with vmware i already was in a i was in a pretty comfortable job i was in a pretty good place i was making decent money and you know i was relatively happy i enjoyed my team uh that i was managing and i was like oh, honestly i'm just gonna interview them this kind of was my approach and so it, and it comes to, you know, having consulted in IT, my last job, I did IT consulting, I managed some IT consultants, is I worked in a lot of environments and I learned what was a good functioning company and a healthy company, because some of that consulting was doing IT work, but I had to meet with CFOs and I had to understand of, okay, why are they doing these things that in IT make no sense of why are we, you know, waiting to purchase this? It needs to be bought or why have we not done this or why are we using eight-year-old servers and learning like what are the signs of a healthy company? What are the signs of a healthy team? What are cases where like at no point in the interview process am I meeting the am I meeting my future manager? That is a giant red flag. Also, if you don't meet anyone else on your team, like you meet the manager, but you don't meet anyone else you're gonna be working with, that is equally terrifying because you might be working with some cave trolls. So like these are some of the things. And it's 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 written partly as like originally it was kind of an IT practitioner. So it's like, what is the budget? What are some things like that? You know, what are how are the services mix? What are you going to be managing? But it also gets into just a lot of like how to look at the company. One thing that has frustrated me endlessly is watching people in the tech industry go from a perfectly healthy, safe job that pays well to going to a startup that if I go look at Crunchbase, Crunchbase, by the way, everyone should go bookmark Crunchbase. And they go look there and you go look at the cap table. You look at basically what the funding rounds are, how much money has been had, how many rounds of funding. And you go, this company is not going to IPO unless they can get a $3 billion exit. And they don't have the revenue for that. Like, this is a bad idea. And I've seen people, senior directors making very good money at large tech companies go to some startup and it dies six months later. And And it's not like they were running from something. They had like good things. And I'm like, man, you're good at whatever you are, but you are not good at finance. And so that's something... That maybe you don't, it's not a full skill you need to do, but things to look for. And then also there's the back half, which we'll get into later, I guess. And this is the compensation questions, because what the base salary is, is not the full story. And there's a lot of detail there. Yeah, that's great. I think that we can just jump right into it. I think the very first thing that you talk about is kind of the actual job and job functions. And I think you're right. That is pretty... I might say that it would be specific to for IT, but it isn't necessarily. Like the first question you ask there, or you recommend asking, is what's the um, team or departments or companies view on training, which kind of speaks to um, how quickly they're moving, how much they want people to develop skills and things like that, right? Yeah is it is it the uh, is it the school of sink or swim to where on your first day you're going to be you know managing something that you have no experience on or is it a is it a general ramp up i mean i've and to be fair there you know sometimes you may just be looking for that chaos maybe you're a chaos monkey you enjoy that stuff and the second one is something that i i never thought to ask i think before uh talking to you which is why is this position open that is a fun one because you can watch some people get real awkward on that one because did the last guy um get angry and throw a router at someone's head on the way out or is it, oh, yeah, we're expanding. We need someone in this region to cover this territory. Oh, the last guy left, but he, in doing so, he moved up to a much senior role at a you know bigger, better. We're, we're happy for him. You know, do they say positive things? If they say, oh, yeah, the last guy was a terrorist. I jokingly say that, but I've, I've seen someone actually destroy a data center, like cut the Ethernet cords and delete all the data. So, but that said, like, yeah, that guy was crazy and went to 
federal jail for 10 years but he also was a product of a deeply dysfunctional organization like it takes two to tango or would they even tell you why you know give you much detail like that i wonder if that's a red flag like well it's just yeah if they if they just get awkward and shuffly like that's where also having a network helps knowing people who work there or used to work there is a big deal at this point it would be real hard for me to go work at a company if it was a large company that I didn't already know someone and didn't have some connection. Partly because, you know, even at some of the largest tech companies, and I don't mean to say this and throw any shade at Amazon, but like Amazon's a big company. I'm sure there's some great teams to work on. I mean, when you have 200,000 people, there's just going to be good and bad. And if I was going to go work there, I'd want to know someone who worked on that team or managed that team or interacted with that team who could tell me like, oh yeah, they have a great work-life balance or, oh yeah, that manager's great or or yeah, I don't think that product's going to be around or like that type of feedback. And that's, you have to get out there. You have to network. You have to go talk to people. I know LinkedIn, I make fun of it and sometimes and call it the, the social network for the unemployed. But it is something where, you know, keep track of those people you worked with five years ago by at least, you know, connecting with them. You don't have to follow up with them, but later those connections can help. Yeah. And it's, you know, following up with people every once in a while is not a bad idea. I had a thing where I had a like a calendar reminder like every other month and it was like roll the dice and uh I would like export my my LinkedIn list and then have a random number generator and it was like reach out to this person. <laughs> it was just just one, just one person. Well, and you go have coffee with people, you do this stuff, you'll find out about opportunities you'd forgotten about. You you know, people will think even if you're not looking for a job, they'll they'll keep you in mind or they'll connect you to stuff. And it also just helps you, uh, what I like to call, keep a parachute packed. If something comes, you know, for your job, because you have those connections, because you talk to those people, it, you're in a much better position to kind of constantly be pulsing the market. Maybe not seriously interviewing, but at least, hey, what's out there? What's this? What's the salary range on that? Yeah, and I don't think every interviewee just really gets together that list of questions to ask each person in the process. Maybe I'm being assumptive with that, but I just don't think the average person is. The amount of interviews I've been at, were you you in the interview and you're like, do you have any questions? They just say no. Like, do not be that person. You better have questions. You just, you don't come off engaged. And I've heard there's all kinds of like meta trick questions. Like, hey, are there any objections you have? Like, what would be the one thing you think I need to, to improve on to, to be in this? Like, there's all kinds of like mind game questions. People say that that's fine. But if you just throw some of these questions out, it shows them that you're thinking about actually being in the role. And it also helps you like make a decision. If you don't understand what the what the job is going to be and you don't understand what the compensation is going to be, it's like trying to buy a car because taking a job is a big financial decision, like buying a car or buying a house. And imagine you're going through that negotiation and you don't know what color it's going to be. You don't know what trim level it is. You know it's a Toyota, but that's it. You know, maybe you like vaguely know the miles per gallon and you've got some clues. Yeah, while you're negotiating the price, you don't even know what currency you're negotiating in, which to be fair, that sometimes is what options are at private companies. But it's it's one of those deals of like, you, you got to be able to establish some ground truth. And hopefully you should be trying to get one or, you know, one or multiple offers and, and, it's real easy to, for people to get bamboozled. I had a guy who worked with me previously who he went to a different company and he got a pay raise and he was all excited and all proud. He's like, oh yeah, I got this raise. It's like 15%, which nowadays I think in tech, you know, generally people are looking for a little more when they hop. But um, I was like, hey, so what's the bonus? He goes, wait, bonus? I'm like, yeah, remember how we get a bonus every year at the end of the year? Like rev share? He's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Turns out they didn't have a bonus. He actually ended up just 
getting it was it was actually a net zero raise and the insurance was more expensive. He took a pay cut, didn't even realize it. And he wasn't like, I don't mean to like say like he's an idiot. Like this is just really easy to wander into. Yeah, you really have to when you start those compensation discussions, it's you have to keep everything in mind. Before we get there, like I I noticed that you had some questions again stuff that I hadn't thought about asking, especially when you're moving into a role that you're not familiar with, like how is success measured? That is, is it a stack rank on the team? Is it, you know, what are the outcomes to use OKRs? Okay. Are those measured on a, is, is like a short sprint, like a six, like a six weeks we do those. Do you do yearly assessments? Is it continuous assessment? These are all different things. Do you do 360, 360 assessments where everyone on the team, like all judges each other, like a peer thing? Which sounds like an awful like prisoner dilemma game. Um, I've never worked anywhere that seriously did those. Or are there no measurements at all? I mean, to be fair, like I actually did have a manager once where we just didn't have a, we didn't have any type of managed by objective, no MBOs, no OKRs. He's like, "Do you guys want these?" And we're like, "Um." He's like, "What's the what's the alternative?" He's like, "Well, I'm just you know arbitrarily judging what I think your quality of work was." And like, we all had a good relationship with this. He knew what we were working on. He kept engaged with us. We're like, "Yeah, yeah, let's just keep doing that." And I got a promotion while under that system. So like to be, you, you can mock there being no measure of success. You can just be like, yeah, it's arbitrarily at the manager, at the discretion of the manager. And this gets back to like who the manager is. And I, you know, people ask me like, is this person a great manager? Are they a bad manager? Like, Look, managers to me are binary. It's like, can I work for this person? Do I respect them? Are they, are they going to, you know, help me with my career or help me with that stuff? Or are they someone that I'm going to want to avoid meetings with that I know is never going to have the ball in my court and I'm going to have to go around them to get any type of advancement or just get basic resources or things I need to accomplish my day job. And that's where it's like, you know, people, people don't quit jobs. They quit managers more often than they quit jobs. Um, like you, t- you talk to people in HR, they'll tell you managers are the number one reason people quit. And it's really true. And so like, look at it from really, if nothing else, you're interviewing this manager, this person is going to have, you know, they might not be able to fire me depending on the company, but they can definitely annoy me to, enough to leave. What types of questions do you like to ask potential managers, if you don't mind me just throwing that out there? Like maybe even above and beyond this article, if you interviewed tomorrow with a new potential manager, what would be some of the top questions you would ask them point blank? So what's the expected time for productivity? Like what's that, that tail look like? Because in some jobs, like, you know, just where you're a sysadmin, you're jumping from one Windows or one VMware environment to another, you're like going from one org that's maybe you're a a GCP, you're a Google Cloud, you know, SRE, and you're going to Amazon, and that's going to require you learn some new stuff. What is that ramp? What do you expect me to be productive in? When When I took this job, my manager at the time said, honestly, I don't expect you to be terribly productive for at least six months. Because it's just a lot of unique systems. It's a lot of very different activities than I had done before. I was like, wow. I'm like, that's wild to me because I came from MSP land where it was like often like, hey, it's the kid's first day out. Let's go send them to rebuild a domain controller, or like rebuild an entire v- VDI environment that corrupted itself. Like that was just like a fun game you did. You're like, okay, I'll give you some advice. Here's the downloads. Here's the passwords. Meet me at the bar when you're done. If you're in a situation like I can, I can take that challenge. Yeah, I can be taking call customer calls. Like let's say it's a support role. I can be taking calls in a week, you know, or, or let's say it's sales. How long are you going to shadow me for? Will I have specialists that will support me? Who can I reach out to when I'm stuck? Does that manager assign someone to be, you know, a peer to help that new person? Um, and that's not like on a short fix of like, hey, you're gonna you're gonna hang out with them for two weeks and you're gonna just ignore them. Is there going to be someone on this team who's cool? And this is also why I say like meet your your future teammates. Like, is there someone on this team who seems like they want they they want me to be successful? 
which that's also also why I talked about like stack rank and stuff like that because you you don't want to be going into a company and I don't want to name names but there are companies out there that have been definitely been guilty of this where managers are hiring people so that they can rank them at the bottom and cut them and protect the rest of the team so like you don't want a system that's incentivized for people not to help each other and not support each other maybe we could take a second and explain stack ranking what's what's your uh, elevator pitch or maybe not pitch but elevator explanation of stack ranking this comes out of some previous productivity stuff, and I can't get into the full history, but the general idea is you basically say, okay, we've got the top 2% of performers, they're rock stars, pardon my you know, use of that term, I promise I'm eye-rolling. You know, we're going to give them 400% bonus or tons of our uh, stock units or things like that. The top 10 to 20%, we're going to reward pretty well. We'll give them you know, X above plan or things like that. Then we're going to have like a nice healthy middle. And then the bottom 10 or 20%, and it can be different percentages, we're going to say that, you know, and you basically force at a VP or a director or manager level them to rank people on like a one to five and put them in one of these buckets and there's an expected distribution. And if you get put in that bottom bucket, you get put on a performance improvement plan, which is a uh, shape up or shape out uh, kind of thing. Or you might just get volunteered for the next reduction in force. Um, Some companies don't actually lay people off in the middle of the year. Um, you basically have to like violently, offensively commit a felony and, and and commit grand larceny at the company or something to get fired in the middle of the year. They like once a year, they like everyone that got sorted into the bottom, they sweep out. Some companies may use random number generators. Who knows? But the the thing with the stack rank is it is management is determining. They're basically forced to cut some people um, or they're forced to to put some people, maybe not cut, but maybe, for instance, at one tech company I know of, if you're in that bottom 10 to 20%, your bonus is going to be zero. And I know if you've worked in, you know, in-house IT, we're like, oh, the bonus is like an extra paycheck. But if that bonus is 20, 25% or 40%, or there's there's stock refreshers tied to that to where you can get toward 40% of your comp is this variable, that's a gut punch potentially financially. And that's why you need to be not, you know, not just talk about that manager, but also as part of the process, try to meet the skip manager. Try to meet the at least skip manager is the person above them. Uh, when I interviewed at VMware, I actually interviewed all the way to the VP of the entire business unit. Mind you, it was a small business unit at the time. But, you know, there was like 200 people or something. And so that and, and we had a great conversation and I could tell he wanted me to be successful. And that was like that helped sell me on the role of like, oh, wow. You know, when I worked for a, an 18 person company, I interviewed with one of the two owners was one of the people. If you're, if you're a company that small, like there's no excuse not to be meeting one of the owners as part of that. Um, and make sure that there's a, there's a potential success alignment. That's pretty intimidating. The higher up the person is that you have to meet with and you, it's the first time you've met with them. I think that makes it more nerve wracking for people. That's just my take. It is, but one, you know, it'll, if you can carry yourself in those situations, you're going to get over time, you need to realize these people, people think of them like, and this is fun getting back to an old example. People think that these execs, they're like wild bears or something. And I once had a sales rep ask me one time, I, we got out of a meeting with a CIO of a fortune, you know, 5,000 who was angry and yelled at a bunch of people. And he's like, how do you always keep her cool? And I'm like, well, I used to work with bears. Uh, speaking of my career history, I worked with some, uh, what technically was a class C zoo and we had bears. And part of the training on that was like, Hey, if they charge you when you're in the pens working with them, you just got to kind of like stare at them and then go like calmly change your underwear somewhere else. And, and I've also like done, you know, backcountry hiking and they like train you there. They're like, Hey, if you run into some bears, like make yourself big, clap some loud noises and they'll just kind of wander off. And so 
those execs, maybe they are like bears, but they're more like the bears in the wild. That like if you just if you just make some noise and stuff, they, they'll scatter. These people are not people who are VPs are not all out to get you or eat you. They're more interested in like harvesting berries and making sure you know the cubs get fed and things like that. They got kids. They're normal people, and so think of them like that in terms of that. And also the other thing is is that. If you can find some way to connect with them, if a new VP comes into the group or there's a new exec, go sit down with them and say, hey, you know, I know you're hiring a senior director role right now. I'm not fit for that right now. I'm not there. But what do you think? I What should I be looking for? How did you get to your role? And if you can give them an opportunity to put themselves, particularly, you know, you know, if, if they're a more senior exec and things like that, like, hey, how did you get to the role? You give them an opportunity to kind of do some mentoring. They'll often open up. And ask, you know, flip the script on that stuff. Because a lot of these guys, you, you're not a good vice president or you're not a good senior director if you haven't been a good mentor. And maybe they are scary and they bark at you and they do that stuff. And you know what? You dodged a bullet because you don't want to work there. Like if that person just says, why is this person in my office? Like, you know, I've, I've worked at places like that. I, when I worked at a 50 person company, I'd walk into the CEO's office and I didn't waste your time or anything. But I'd be like, hey, I got a question. Why do we run this way? I just, you know, quick thing. And she'd give me feedback. And it was sometimes at first those execs may be like, why is this person asking too many questions? Or why aren't they talking to their manager? Like do where you can ask your manager things. Don't just go wander into execs offices. But as part of that hiring process, this is, you know, sometimes this may be one of your best shots to talk to those people. They'll actually be more friendly to potential hires. I really think that what you're implying here is like when you're talking to that skip manager or the VP or senior director or whatever, at that point, you're kind of at the vibe check point, right? Where they are just kind of, they don't want to override the person who wants to hire you, yeah. right? But they want to check and make sure that they're getting the right vibe from this because it's coming out of their budget. Yeah, yeah. And and they will, they will be the person who makes your manager fire you um, down the road, you know, if they decide they want to save budget. Your manager is rarely the person who tries to get rid of you unless you're just a, a jerk or something. It's generally somewhere up the line that someone says at a VP level gets told, hey, you got to you got to clean up 15 percent of the budget. And then they kind of maybe use some data that's been collected from surveys or things like that. But more often than not, these large companies, it's a maybe a senior director is involved at best. I like that that vibe check. I also call like to say culture comes from the top. Those execs that you work with, those things like that, like if. You know, if you have some like CEO who's like 1980 style drives drives Lambos and does tons of you know narcotics or something from South America, you're gonna have a bunch of like crazy spazzed out workaholics. Like if you have a CEO who like he donates half his money to charity and he's like building out things like that, you're you're gonna have a very different vibe and a very different culture. If if the CEO like when they write a book, it's on like yeah success rules and you know rar. Versus like the CEO writes a book on like family work-life balance. Like, okay, one of these places might be a better place to work if I have kids. Another place might be a fun place to work till I'm 27, blow up my adrenal glands and hopefully can retire, you know, as an eye banker. But, you know, it's again, I don't want to judge what vibe people are looking for, but you're right. Vibe check is definitely the word. And vibe check, like you, you're pointing out right now, it's, it's two ways. They're seeing if they're getting any red flags from you and you need to see if, you know, that's somebody that you think makes sense to work for is just like one manager away from you. You you don't want to go full crazy on people. You don't want to start telling them your life story. You don't want to start going through like why you're angry with your last place or something like do show some restraint. But at the same time, you don't want to interview as one person and be a different person because that may also be a problem. Yeah, you have to be yourself. You have to let them see who you are because if you 
put up a fake person in the interview and then you turn out to be someone totally different while you're doing the job. It's not like people won't figure it out. That said, is you know, if you're like if you have some severe personality problems, you should probably go fix those. So be yourself, but be a good person. Always be working on yourself. That's a yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Another good good recommendation. Should we start talking a little bit about compensation? How to how to do some evaluation there as well. waiting for us to show you the money where you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. We didn't quite get there this week. We'll talk more about compensation next week when we continue the conversation with John Nicholson. But hopefully if you learn nothing else, you heard that it's not all about the money. Understanding what the job is is so important. What are you going to be doing? What type of people are you going to be working with and for? How is your success going to be measured? And how fast will you be expected to reach competence? And some of the things that maybe you don't know how to do or are a stretch for you or becoming an expert in those internal systems you're going to have to deal with. That's a great question about time to productivity that I recommend adding to your list of questions. And oh yes, we should all have a list of questions that we want to ask it in interviews all throughout the process. This goes back and really falls in line with the advice that Anudeep Parhar gave us in episode 209 about when speaking with an executive or high-level leader, bring a point of view. If you're in the interview process, part of the hiring funnel, then your point of view is going to be the job you want, the work you want to do, the type of company you want to work for, the type of person you are, what are you about as a person, what kind of culture are you wanting to work inside, and then something to ask. Bring questions to ask, how did that person get to where they are today? How long have they been at the company? What made them want to do their job they're doing right now? You can always ask questions like that to learn more about the person on the other side of the call or the other side of the screen share from you. But make sure and bring those questions that you really want to know the answers to. Don't just come up with questions for the sake of having questions. Ask questions that you're actually interested in hearing the answers to. That's an important one. Let your curiosity guide you. And if you want to hear more about recent interview processes, you can hear you can hear more on the story of John White's recent interview processes and becoming a first-time manager of systems engineers or sales engineers in Nutanix in episodes 221 and 222. Those are great to go back and listen to about what his interview process was like and the things that he wanted to know, things that you can't find out on a company website, for example. We also talked about tech marketing, and I think John Nicholson did a good job giving us an idea of what that job is and how you might get into the hiring funnel. Are you someone who likes to write, and are you doing that already? Are you speaking at events? If you want to hear other people's stories who maybe went into a tech marketing-type job, a couple of examples that came to my mind were Andy Serwich, episodes 158, 159, and 160, and then also John Hildebrand, in episodes 37 and 38, that's a call back to the early days. And interestingly enough, John Hildebrand got his job in a tech marketing type role after a layoff. So maybe that'll help you out there if you're in a situation where 
you've been laid off or you know someone else who has been, hopefully these episodes can help you. We'll see you next week for part two with John Nicholson. Until then, just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman, for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios.